a few years ago, we're, we're, Rob and Jeff, we did some training in leadership community. And then Robert, I mean, um, your husband, not Robert, um, Jeff took it to his work, was in his workplace, and they'd brought in this GWS trainer, paid him a Brazilian dollars to come um, train him. And, and he started asking questions about, um, to the group, if you ever heard this before, and Jeff was the only one who'd heard it. And he said, where'd you hear that? So I went in my church. And so it, it translates over into work life, personal life, <clears throat> parenting, everything. So there's a responsibility of leader. You have to show up to train. The privilege is, you know, you get to train. So let's, let's jump into training. We're gonna have, we'll have the first session. We're going to talk about just some general principles related to seeing people as whole people. <clears throat> and then we're going to move to mentoring specifically, and we'll have some interaction with some group leaders. And then we're going to do uh, a breakout. So um, men, women, and then the student, the, the high school leaders will go somewhere, and then that'll be it. So Elijah had, had this tremendous ex experience of God. He had a very visible manifestation of God's power. Rodney, where are you at? Are you still in here? Yeah. So we don't have anything back there. Is that normal? I mean, that's definitely not normal. Is that fixable? So Elijah had a very, a very tremendous experience of God's power, a visible manifestation of his presence. His role as God's prophet, thank you, was vindicated. It was just spectacular. You can read the story. You can read it in, in, in 1 Kings 18, 19, right around there. So let's pick up the storyline. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went to a, day, a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank. Then he lay down again. He slept some more. Angel came a second time, touched him, said, Get up and eat, for the journey's too much for you. He got up and ate. Strengthened by the, tr tr by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Now, there's no indication here that this was some supernatural journey. It doesn't mean he didn't pitch, uh, pitch his tent every night. He probably did. And he got to the mountain of God, went into a cave, and spent the night. Now you read that and go, if only I could have the spectacular, unusual, miraculous experiences of God that people in the Bible had. The cool stuff like happened to Elijah and Elisha and Paul and Peter, then I would be able to have an enduring faith. If I could have a special experience, it would fix me. But we don't see this in the Bible. Nobody in the Bible is fixed by a supernatural experience. And it's never happened in the lives of people today. I've had a couple of unusual experiences, a couple, that's why they're called unusual in my whole 64 years. They did not fix me. They didn't even change me very much, they, any more than some other single act did in a day. Small acts of faithfulness over time, faith in practice, called faithfulness, is what changes us. And paying attention to our whole selves, hearts and habits, changes us. And I want to be careful about reading into this passage because this single story is a part of the comprehensive storyline of Scripture. And there's three levels if you read the biblical narrative. There's what God is, there's the highest level of what God is doing across the cosmos and the nations. There's a, the next level of what God's doing with his people, 
Israel and then the church, and then there's what God's doing in individual lives. And so um, the big storyline is what God was doing to bring about the Savior of the world. But then it's not inappropriate to recognize the story of God and his provision for this down at this third level where we live. His daily provision for people in their lives. And here in this man Elijah, who was a part of that second story and that larger story, God was providing for Elijah. And there's some, some things for us to learn in the details. Notice that God didn't correct his thinking, his theology right away. His thinking was off. His emotions were off. His theology was off. And even though he had had this spectacular experience of God, and maybe partially because he'd had that experience, you know, human beings are drained by those experiences. And so God's provision was not another experience. He didn't give, he didn't give him theological information. His provision first was just in natural sleep. He fell asleep. Then he fed him supernaturally through angels, but it was not magic food. It was food that had to be cooked. So the, I can't imagine angels are cooking the food. That would just be an amazing thing. And then he let him sleep again, fed him again. Then he went on his journey. And 40 days of walking on a journey, is, that's a lot of time. And he didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have, um, had, have uh, music to listen to. So lots of time to think, center yourself, setting up camp, sitting around a campfire. So he arrived at God's time, place, of, place and time of his choosing, and then God spoke to him. And he set his perspective right, and then he gave him his next assignment, which happened to be the training of his protege, his replacement, Elisha. So jump to the New Testament. Um, Paul's giving Timothy lots of instructions on all the problems in the church, dealing with people issues. Timothy had his own personal challenges. He tended, he tended to be timid. He tended to be passive at times, based on what Paul said to him. And he had a frequent stomach ache. And maybe it was because Timothy was timid and passive. Maybe he was having to deal with hard-headed people. And so he's, oh, man, maybe he had an ulcer. I don't know. But Paul said, hey, stop drinking only water. Drink some wine. This, is, this was for medicinal purposes. So this is Apostle Paul. Why didn't he say, I heal you in the name of Jesus? I mean, he healed a lot of people. Because Paul, Paul didn't get to make that call. That wasn't his call. And I'm sure he prayed for Timothy to be healed. Maybe he laid hands on him and asked him, and God just didn't heal him. So he said, okay, this is um, stress-related. And then 1 Timothy 4.8, physical training is of some value, but godliness has more holding promise for the present life and life to come. The focus of the verse is on training for godliness. The example he used is the value, the lesser value, but the value of physical training. So I want to talk about seeing our leadership from a whole person perspective. And none of this is to make you experts in anything. This is about seeing the people you lead from a fully biblical whole person perspective. And so don't, don't worry if you don't even remember details. The, the goal is to have this perspective that when you look at circumstances, people, your own life, you think whole person, whole person. And the, the, four, the four M's of membership, and um, Brenda, are you in here? Somewhere there. So did, did they get, did they all get them? Yeah. Okay, you all got those M&Ms. Those are tasty, but on those are the four M's. And um, you can eat, and you can think, and then there's a bookmark that you can take home. But you have mission out there. You have membership, member care in here. You have meetings, which is just pulling off the events, and then you have mentoring. And I want to encourage you to think about mentoring from that whole person perspective in mind. Now, before we go to this whole person perspective, let me stop there because 
I may have lost some people with that M word. And um, some of you may choke on the, the, the mentoring M&M. You say, I'm not even going to eat this one. Brenda, <laughs> Brenda has explained to me from her study and her experience that women tend to be more collaborative and men more competitive, more chain of command. Women tend to be more indirect, men more direct. So women tend to see themselves more as facilitators rather than leaders, even though they are, in fact, leaders. And these things are generally true. Of course, there are exceptions. So let me define whether you are more chain of command or more collaborative in your thinking. Let me define mentoring in the context of group life. Mentoring is relational, relational, communication, demonstration, celebration, all those, that helps and encourages people to move towards God's purposes for their lives. That's what mentoring is. Helping people more fully experience God's purpose in their lives. Who wouldn't want to do that? That's exactly what you're doing. And in small group, that would be, to a degree, that's your goal for everybody. But specifically, as a leader, you're looking for where God is moving and joining him there in regard to who might God be raising up to move to the next layer level of leadership in their life. Who can I help? Who can I come alongside? Who can I encourage? Maybe I don't, I don't really know right now, but I'm, I'm looking. I'm just looking to see where God is moving so I could join him. Who can I help move towards where God is moving in their life? So mentoring is helping, blessing, collaborating with others, collaborating with God. It's not complex. It's just more of a mentality. And the little things you do by being you on purpose add up and they matter. So years ago when Robert was at Brooks, right Robert? Was it Brooks right down the road? And uh, they, did, they had mentoring in schools and so I had three guys who were sixth graders and I had them sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and I went over there one hour once a week for three years and I mentored them and here was my mentoring. Tremaine, how you doing in math? Bad. Do better in math. Throw me the ball. That was my, that was my mentoring. And, Am I exaggerating, Robert? He was out there. That was it. All of them went up a letter grade in their subjects. You say, how did that happen? Well, because there was some guy that they learned to respect who was going to say, how's math? Do better. And so they started paying attention in their math. So I'm not saying it's always that simple, but it kind of is. I mean, moving people just a little bit just takes a little bit. So it's not, it's not complex. It's highly relational and intentional. So as we lead... Help, if you don't like lead, help. We're joining God and others. It's important to see people from a whole person perspective. So anthropology, when we hear that word, we think it's a soft science at the university. But historically, it was first a component of systematic theology. Right, Aaron? It was first that and the university. Um, universities were originally trained, developed to train pastors and ministers and so now we think of it as people just guessing about humans, but originally it was, what does the Bible say about who humans are, made by God? What's our problem? What's our solution? What's our purpose? How do we change? In church growing up, there was a deficiency in biblical anthropology. All we had, so to speak, in our ministry toolbox was a hammer, so every problem was a nail. And so when it came to people, it's kind of like, okay, there's people, they sin, they need to be saved. All that's true, but it's one component of how the Bible presents people. And so um, every single problem in a person's life was the sin problem, so we would hit it with that hammer. <laughs> and it didn't help people. It helped some people, but it didn't. Over time, people started thinking this doesn't work. It failed to address the complexity of humanity as the Bible presents us. So we're going to talk about how we as spiritual 
physical hybrids can, can lead other hybrids into more fully experiencing God's purposes. And the military uses the phrase self-aid buddy care, which I like, because this is about self-aid is taking care of yourself in order to do buddy care to take care of others. And so the first question to think about is the self-aid question. As I move through group life this year, how do I take care of myself in order to take care of others? And there's a balance here because we are to sacrifice. The Bible says that we're to sacrifice, and putting others first is biblically right and good. Doing self-care is a part of this. So, you know, if the, if the things, the masks drop down the plane, you put yours on first and you put it on the, the child second. That's not selfish. So it's not selfish to pay attention to self-care, but self-care can turn into self-protection, selfishness. So you just got to watch for that balance. But you got to ask that self-care question first this year. And then the buddy A question is, how do I see others and help them thrive as physical, relational, spiritual beings. And so recently a close friend of mine was going through an extremely challenging time and he was being faithful to, to pray, to read the Bible, to interact with people. But as we were talking, I said, you got to stop praying. you got to stop reading the Bible. you got to stop talking. you got to go to sleep. Just go to sleep. And he went to sleep. I mean, not right that moment, but he went to sleep. And then he got a good night's sleep, got another good night's sleep. And guess what? Other things started working. Prayer, working, meaning give him direction, interacting with people, things started falling into place. So we're not parts of a person, we're a whole person. And so how do we grow looking at people from a biblical whole person vantage point? And again, this is not about becoming experts in this, it's about remembering to think of people as whole people. And how, is, how do we see our leadership as, as training people for godliness, and how is resiliency, the ability to bounce uh, how is that a part of this? And so we, over and over, we'll, we'll go back to this resiliency model, seeing our, you know, that we are relational, spiritual, physical, mental beings, and seeing ourselves from that whole perspective. And it sounds very complex, but it really is pretty intuitive. You know how this works. So as you're helping someone, you know, which one of those parts is in play? Every one of them all the time. Which one needs the most attention? Well, maybe one more than the other. I was meeting with... Um, and I have a document I can send you. I have like an eight-page document that kind of unpacks all this. So um, Brenda will send that to him this week. But I was meeting with a guy who's going through. He doesn't go to River. Uh, he's a, he's a uh, retired, medically retired Marine. And um, his life is in disarray. And I was talking about these four pillars. And he was like, okay, I'm, he's, here's what I'm doing there. Here's what I'm doing there. Here's what I'm doing there. I said, okay, what about this one? He said, well, I'm, I'm not doing anything there. Well, which one do you think was causing a problem? Well, it's that one. And it's like, if you think about oil, gas, air in your tires, and water in your car, which one would you like to try to go without? He said, well, can't go at all without gas. Okay, that's right. Can't go long without oil a little while. You, you can drive without air in your tire, but eventually it's going to tire, fall. So you, you can go low on some, but you can't go no on any of them for a long time. So how do we help people become resilient, which is a biblical word, perseverance, endurance. And how do we help them become more resilient, which doesn't mean make them into a tough guy or a tough girl. Because you can be, you can be tough like a rock, and rocks don't tend to break, but they also don't bounce. You drop a rock and they just <laughs> stick in the ground. Resiliency is a rubber ball, 
They're not as tough as a rock, but they bounce. They don't stay down. And so we're not trying to make anybody tough. I mean, that's not even a biblical principle. We're trying to make people resilient, faithful, um, who can bounce. So the, um, go, through the ne- go to the next slide. You have the, the physical, which includes those and other, um, and recovery includes sleep. You have the mental, go to the next one, which includes that, helping people think. You say, those are psychological terms. No, those are really biblical terms. You, can, you could pull those straight out of Proverbs. There's the spiritual, which includes who we are inside, endurance, perspective, what God's up to, life purpose, what he's called me to. There's the social, which is all the things that we kind of know about. And again, you don't need to be an expert. You just need to be aware. I'm dealing with whole people. Resiliency is training people for godliness. So go to the next slide. We've, we've looked at this before. That's kind of small, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about an example. So you, you build resiliency skills, which is a part of group life, and you're not trying to become a resilient expert. You're just walking with people, helping them pay attention to biblical thinking, um, biblical relationships, spiritual um, health, and, and, and a part of that's going to be, okay, you, you need to sleep. You need to watch what you're doing with your body because God has put your, your spirit in a body. And as you train and group to do those things, life is going to happen. There's the bang. Stress is going to come. And that's when you exercise those skills or you find out that you had not developed them. And if you have developed those and you thrive in adversity, you grow from it. This sounds, like a, this sounds a little bit like James 1, doesn't it? You grow from it, and then you begin to build again. So real example, uh, Robert and I have a good friend who um, three, had, had not been in church his whole adult life and, um, and hit a tough patch um, four years ago, had not built resiliency skills, the bang happened, and it did not go well. Fast forward, recent, this, two weeks ago we met, he hit another really big bang. The difference was in the last three years... He'd been in community, which he'd, he's, he's 55 years old. He'd been in community, which he had never been in his life. The bang happened that's very significant. And um, instead of hiding in his house, he showed up. He is moving forward. He's engaging other people. And so I, sh- I pulled this up on my phone and showed it to him because he feels like, man, I'm, here I am again. I said, no, this is, you're not here you are again. You're, you're a whole different person. And I showed this to him. He said, yeah, that's, that's me. That's my life. And so this is, um, this is a part of what we're doing in group life is preparing people for the bang, for the, for the, for the, the testing of your faith that develops perseverance that must finish its work if we're going to become mature and complete. And so another, so the next slide, another way of thinking about this is redefine how we look at stress. For most people, stress is bad. There's one category for stress, bad but in real life, there's eustress, which is good, as in eulogy, which is good, and there's distress, as in disease, disaster. The dis means bad. There's good stress and bad stress. You can think of all kind of um, scriptures probably right now that talk about stress, good stress, put, putting stress on it. I mentioned James 1, consider it pure joy when you face trials, which is what stress is, because those things develop perseverance. Go to the next slide. So they all work together, and it's about directionism, not perfectionism. And I talked last night about getting a base hit. 
All this, all this works, by the way, in your workplace. You're not going to be able to bring in overtly Christian stuff necessarily. Um, I can't, unless they come into our office or come into chapel, I can't go around the flight line, go around office just giving people biblical stuff. It's just not going to work. But I give them biblical stuff, they just don't know it, and people move. They move a little bit. And so if you say, if you measure by just a little tiny bit, can have huge implications for people's lives. And so if, if someone's on this, if the line right here, that line is, that's the surviving line, and then over there is thriving. Over on this side of the line is not surviving. And I've talked to a lot of people who are on this side of the line. And it's an inch from not sur- on the not surviving line to the surviving line. That may be a mile to thriving. So people go, well, what good's an inch? Well, it depends on what inch it is. If it's this inch, you don't notice it that much. You know, Doug's doing great, and he's doing a little bit greater. <laughs> That's an inch. But when people are here, an inch is everything. An inch is everything. And so, and if they get over here, they can start moving that direction. So, again, you don't have to remember any of this. Just remember the big ideas as you're helping people. So... Here's some, I'm going to give you some questions for um, reflection, self-reflection, and, and then, and then you, can, um, um, you can get together with your L.A. or a friend or how you want to do this. Or if you're, if, if you're by yourself, you can, you can just think. Or you can jump in with some other people. I mean, Justin, you can jump in with Lee and Robert if you want. It doesn't matter. But I want you to take about, we'll take about eight minutes. You can talk about all these or part of these. And what do you need to do for self-aid? What does self-aid look like? How do you keep self-aid from becoming selfishness? You know, What can you do to think whole person and group life? I'm not asking for a new program, but how might you think about um, anthropology in your theology and in, in group life or meeting with people, whatever? And then, and then who is your go-to person? Do you have a go-to person? Because I've never known a leader... I've never known a leader who did well, who, um, who didn't have a go-to person. And you may be blessed to have several, that's okay, but you, you need to have one. And who are they? Do they know, do they know who they are? May, it may not be your L.A., probably isn't. It could be someone else. But just, you don't think about all those, but talk about those. Do some self-reflection, but in the context of me leading a group of people, and these are, I'm a whole person, and they're a whole person. So go ahead, and um, I'll holler at you. I won't holler at you, but I'll bring you back in just a few minutes. So go ahead and start thinking, talking.